All right, folks, into the Triangle Podcast, Couch Guy Sports, Episode 6. I'm Big Al Nahigian. I got Liam Smith with me. Unfortunately, no Jared Scally today. Uh, Jared had a conflict. Obviously, it's Memorial Day. It's beautiful out. People are celebrating, and Jared's one of those people celebrating. But we do miss him, and we will miss him on this particular show. But he'll be back next week giving his pessimistic and funny views for all of us to enjoy. Come back soon, Jared. We do miss you. I'm just excited for the opportunity. You know, yep. someone takes a day off, it's another person's chance to step up. So let's see how this goes. Yeah, Liam, you're pulling double duty today, dude. You got the producer role, you got the co-host role. I hope you, you Not know, I hope you know what I you're doing. I press the record button, I might have to talk some actual Red Sox. We'll see. Yeah, dude, you might have to actually like say some words and more than like three words in an episode. Holy Not moly, huh? Set. Not my skill set. <laughs> You'll be fine. All right, but enough about Liam pulling double duty today. Let's get into some Red Sox talk. The first topic that we want to get into is Dustin Pedroia. Womp womp. So Dustin Pedroia called for a press conference today with Dave Dabrowski and Alex Cora present. I honestly thought that it was going to be finally he's announcing his retirement. He's going to step into a position with the organization, probably a coaching role. And I was all for it. Sure enough, I was out to eat with my family, so I didn't get to see the live press conference. But I checked my phone real quick because I don't want to be, you know, not not polite. I want to be very respectful. You have to be respectful with the parental units. And basically, Petroya said he's not retiring, but he's taking a break from baseball. They moved him to the 60-day DL, or IL. Because now IL as opposed to DL. I'm always going to call it the DL. I don't care. It works. It, of course. has to work. It's it's tradition. And Liam, I got to tell you, just I don't understand where Pedroia is coming from in this sense. Because he's tried to rehab it. He's tried to get surgeries. He's tried everything in the book possible to get back on the field for more than five, six games in a season. And it just hasn't worked. And if you really think about it, too, this all started with the Manny Machado slide in the second base. That's where all the trouble started. And he can't seem to just get over that hump. He can't seem to just make himself the steady second baseman that everybody in Red Sox Nation loves. And the thing is, you have Michael Chavis now that's up and obviously is versatile, but can handle second base. Brock Holt just came back today and is currently playing in the Red Sox first game against the Indians, which we'll get to later on in the show. And you have Eduardo Nunez, who's been doing a little bit better lately. So my thing is, you don't really need Pedroia at this at this moment, do you? I mean, he's always been stubborn, and uh, I didn't expect it to stop at the end of his career. But yeah, like you said, we ha- it's not like we're in desperate need of him anymore. There would always be times last season where we'd be like, hey, we could really use Petey back in the lineup. But yeah, right now... There isn't a need for it, and um, honestly, I don't think his body needs it. No, and you know what's funny? I had a conversation with my dad earlier today. Shout out fathers everywhere. (laughs) And he said it best. He said, Dustin Pedroia should just retire. 
and he'll get an automatic bid to the Red Sox Hall of Fame. There's no question about that. He's going to be a first ballot Red Sox Hall of Famer, even though there's no ballots. But he's going to be in the Red Sox Hall of Fame. There's no doubt about it. And yes, his career has been unbelievable. He played with two of the World Series teams, got a third ring, obviously, last year. He was a rookie of the year. He was an MVP. So nobody would blame Pedroia if he just hung hung up his cleats. I mean, Alex Cora basically said, I love him. And no, he didn't basically say that. He did he say that. Him. He loves Pedroia. He brought him under his wing way back when Pedroia was a rookie. Alex Cora literally saw that Pedroia was the future, and he taught him everything he knew. And Dombrowski came out and said he's one of a, you know, most iconic Boston sports legends in recent memory that's still currently playing. So it's amazing the impact that Pedroia has had. So basically to sum up that first segment, we both think that Dustin Pedroia should have called it quits. Liam thinks that Pedroia knows his own body, which obviously he does. He's the one living in it. I personally think I don't care what you're, what, you know, about all that. It's time for Pedroia to just end it and call it a career right off into the sunset and be in the Red Sox Hall of Fame and do the next portion of his career. Liam, any final thoughts on Pedroia before we move on to our next topic? Whatever happens, I love the guy. That's all I'm going to say. I'm right there with you. Dustin Pedroia, you always have a special place in all of Red Sox Nation's hearts. So, But do the right thing and do what's right for you and just move on. We're going to move on, however, to a little bit of a sadder topic. So if anybody out there listening to this is a true diehard Red Sox fan, you know this guy all too well, Bill Buckner. Bill Buckner, 1986, Game 6, World Series against the Mets. I'm sure Liam can throw a clip in there at some point if he wants to, his decision. If we want to hear it. Yeah, if we want to hear it. I don't even know if I want to hear it. Actually, no. That's the right way to remember the guy, is it? No, no, and we're going to get into that. That's what we're going to get into, Liam. So, actually, you know what, Liam? We're going to play that clip. So, I want everybody to take a second and listen to this clip, which, unfortunately, is how Bill Buckner is remembered by all. So, take a second and listen. 5-5 in a delirious 10th inning. Can you believe this ball game at Shea? Oh, brother. 3-2 to Mookie Wilson. Little roller up along first. Behind the bag. It gets through Buckner. Here comes Knight and the Mets win it. If one picture is worth a thousand words, you have seen about a million words. But more than that, you have seen an absolutely bizarre finish to Game 6 of the 1986 World Series. The Mets are not only alive, they are well. Wow. Unfortunate. We do Just, not endorse that clip. Yeah, we don't. But you know what? It can't be all, you know, sunshine, roses, and peaches on this show. Sometimes you have to... You have to give the good with the bad, and that was just a bad moment. So, as Liam is checking his uh, his his TV on my, on my live stream, I love JD Martinez. We can talk about him at some other point. But the news that we want to break—it actually happened a little bit earlier today before recording. Uh, Bill Buckner passed away at the tragic age of sixty-nine, and it was from de- his battle with dementia. I think that's how you say it. Yep. Yeah. Got it. Dementia. Okay. See, I can say words somewhat, maybe. Not really. That was it. (laughs) So, he passed away. But the thing is, everybody remembers Buckner for the ground ball through the legs in 86. 
But this guy, Liam, was a solid, solid baseball player. So yeah, he had I, over- I think this is, a, if I may, as a producer, I think this is a good talking point that, you know, I, what, he was done playing by 1990. I wasn't born until 95 even. So right. all that ever comes to my mind when I think of this guy is that clip. Uh, which is sad, but I know that there's he had so much more of a career. He had a batting title. Like this guy yeah. was a stud. And, he was. Um, so I think this is a good point for you. You obviously have a lot to say about him. What am I missing out on, Bill Buckner? So here's the thing with Bill Buckner. Here's a couple things to keep in mind. Yeah. 1980, he was the NL batting champ with a 3.24 average with the Cubs. 81, he was a National League All-Star. And he hit pretty well for the Red Sox, too. And in his entire MLB career, he had over 2,700 hits. So this guy was very, very good. He was a solid, above-average baseball player in the MLB. And like you just said, Liam, it's unfortunate, but it's so, so true. Anybody that is a casual fan... Or maybe just not as much of diehards as you and I, and obviously Jared, wherever he is, are. But everybody just remembers that one clip. And the thing, so here's my thing. That talking point as far as Buckner being remembered for that play, I think that's BS. There's no way he he just remembered for that one play. But it's unfortunate because obviously everybody knows the story. The Red Sox went 86 years without winning a World Series. 86 was a great year for them to win it. They had everything going for them. Roger Clemens was at the top of his game. The offense was there. And they had the game won. They were up 5-3. to three. Last inning. Two outs. Nobody on. And they were, excuse me, and they were one out away. You're about so to why, keep talking about that. I was, literally. I, I had something in my mouth. I had to control it, and I had to keep it down. It was probably uh, the lunch and dinner I just had, but, you know, yeah, anyways. Yeah, ugh, ugh. yeah, I got to make sure that stays down. Woo! But with Buckner and that World Series, you have to think about it. Two outs, nobody on, you're up two runs. And you can't get one of the next five hitters out? Are you serious? Like, you can't get one of those guys out? And everybody forgets this, Liam, but with that Buckner play, Mookie Wilson still probably beats it out even if a pitcher's covering. So the inning still goes on. You don't know if the Red Sox get out of that inning. And maybe if they do get out of that inning, maybe they still win the game. How about the wild pitch before that let in the tying run? How about the fact, once again, and I'll keep reemphasizing it, I don't care. How about the fact that they couldn't get one out when they're up two runs? And, of course, it's a conspiracy theory that I think it was uh, I think it was Dwight Evans. This sounds it's, like a conspiracy theory, all of it, it so far. It, it, it has to be. I mean, what else could it be? But I think Dwight Evans also said, too, that he saw flashed up on the scoreboard, like, really briefly, congrats to the 1986 World Series champion Boston Red Sox. Yeah. And he thought that that was, like, almost like just a bad vibe and everything, and then just all of a sudden, you know, Man. they lose. And you know what? And you know what's another thing too, Liam, with that Buckner thing is that in Game Seven they were up three to nothing in Game Seven. So I don't want to hear, you know, that Buckner deserved all the treatment he got because he didn't deserve any of it. And I know I think it was Chad Finn that put this on on Twitter today that in 1990 he got a actually I think it was a standing ovation when he briefly came back to the Red Sox that season. So. 
but the thing that drives me nuts is that when we were growing up, when I was like 11, 12, you were, you know, nine or 10, we're all thinking about Bill Buckner as a villain, an enemy. It, that wasn't fair. The guy had a family and they were getting death threats because of what Buckner did. Like, that's when you know that something's just gotten taken too far. And that to me is too far. When you're preying on innocent people because of a baseball game and an error just because it's in the World Series, I don't care if it's in the World Series or opening day or even in spring training. You don't get on a guy for that. That yeah. that that that's that's a bunch of crap. I'm never a big fan of uh, people giving professional athletes trash for mistakes they've made because you know you're never gonna be in that spot in your life. You would never have worked hard enough to get to the point to embarrass yourself like that. I mean, how can you have anything different of an opinion saying that he was just a good baseball player? Mm -hmm. And obviously, he didn't you know shy away from all the criticism that he took because he was like, yeah, I missed the ground ball. But guess what? It's a game. It's a game at the end of the day. And listen, I'm a diehard baseball guy. I love baseball, whether it's the Red Sox or coaching or playing, whatever it is, I'm a diehard baseball guy. But also you have to take into consideration that Buckner was a huge part of that 86 team to just get to the World Series. And obviously he had some big time stats that he went, that he started playing when he was 19. And he ended his career at age 40. And keep in mind, too, 1972 with the Dodgers hit 319. 1974 with the Dodgers hit 314. 1976 with the Dodgers hit 301. With the Cubs in 78, 323. With the Cubs in 81 when he was an all-star, 311. You get the point. I mean, you're on 20 years of production. Yeah, it's just unbelievable. Even in Boston, he almost hit 300. He hit 299 in 85. This guy was a hitter, and this guy was a solid ball player, and all the negative publicity he got, it wasn't warranted. So, RIP to Bill Buckner. We both think that he is in a, he was an amazing player, and he had a solid 20, 21-year career. So, that speaks volumes of his durability throughout all that time. But Liam and I need to take a breather to cool off for a second. Let's, ro let's, ro let's roll into the Matt McCarthy interview. Uh, Jared was fortunate enough to get Matt McCarthy of 98.5, the Sports Hub, on with us. So without further ado, here is our interview with Matt McCarthy. All right, now we are joined by Matt McCarthy, 98.5, the Sports Hub Hardcore Baseball Podcast as well. So baseball nut like the rest of us here. Matt, welcome to the program. How are we? Guys, good to be on with you. Doing well. Happy to happy to join you. Yeah, it's um. It's a weird summer for baseball, and there's a lot of Red Sox stuff to talk about. I want to start, though, um, with Dustin Madroya only because I want to get it out of the way more than anything. Um, so Dustin Madroya comes together with a press conference with Dave Dombrowski and Alex Cora. We all kind of assumed it would be retirement. It wasn't. Essentially, it kind of was, but 60-day uh, IL, and he's going to try very, 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 very hard to play baseball again. But um, I took away from that that, it's him telling us he's going to retire without actually telling us. Matt, what were your takeaways from that initial press conference? Yeah, I mean, that, that was basically my takeaway from it, too. I, I wasn't really expecting a retirement announcement. Remember, he's still got $40 million due to him. And to my understanding, and, and I'm doing some research on this uh, this week, as, as to, you know, what happens with the financials, you know, depending on, you know, what type of moves the organization can make, what type of moves 
he can make to retire but still get that money. If he retires, he doesn't get that money. So he's not going to come out and announce his retirement. I'm not going to blame him for that. I'm not going to blame the, the team for that. He's not going to just up and retire in the middle of this season, given that he's still owed $40 million. Uh, but to me, it was it was a very different Dustin Pedroia than we've seen in the past. We've always gotten the, oh, yeah, I'll be back. Nobody's ever made it back from this, but, you know, I'm going to be back because, you know, I'm Dustin Pedroia and the bravado, the thing that we always loved with Dustin Pedroia. There wasn't that this time. Um, it seemed to me that he was kind of resigned to reality that this is a degenerative knee condition and this is a surgery and a procedure that guys don't come back from. And that's what you saw with Dustin Madroya uh, in that press conference this week. Uh, it's sad. I mean, it is. I mean, listen, I, I think this guy has had some rough moments in the last few years. I think, you know, a lot of the fan base in many ways has turned on him based on what happened with Manny Machado. And it's not, you know, it's not me, it's them. Uh, the, I'm the leader of this team after the whole Eckersley stuff, two months after he threw his teammates under the bus, uh, continually trying to come back and guys losing their jobs uh, to make way for Dustin Madroy only to have him go back on the DL uh, five days later. So there's been a lot that's gone with, gone with this guy, but uh, it's, uh, it was sad. It, it certainly was. And, and that was my major takeaway from that Pedroia press conference is, it's sad. He realizes it's coming to an end. I think we all realize that. And, you know, what's next? I mean, who knows? There's probably going to be some type of David Wright moment for Dustin Madroya, where if the Red Sox are out of the playoffs this year or they've got that uh, spot locked up, a playoff spot locked up, final weekend comes along and you have Dustin Madroya day and he tips his cap to the crowd, plays five innings and walks off into the sunset. We're going to get that at some point over these next three years. When it happens, I don't know. But that, to me, that's what that press conference is about. You're not going to see him play meaningful baseball for the Red Sox again. Yeah, he certainly made it easy the last couple of years for guys like me. I was included in that bunch to hate him and, and kind of turn on him. And not for what he did in the past, but for, just for him not walking away like he should have. Um, I'm curious what your take is kind of next step here. Is Michael Chavis now it it? Like, are they going to rely on him? Because obviously you can't take him out of the lineup. Brock Holt's up here. Dustin Pedroia is officially really out of the picture in all of our eyes, it sounds like. So where do the Red Sox turn to at second base from here? Yeah, I don't know. It's a good question because I don't necessarily buy in on Chavis as a second baseman. Uh, you know, maybe that changes, though. I mean, we've seen that position change over the last, I mean, hell, five years. You've got guys like Travis Shaw, who I didn't think could play third base, playing second base for the Milwaukee Brewers because, you don't, you know, you've got all these shifts in baseball now. You don't really have to turn the double play anymore because – Guys can't go into second base hard because of the Chase Sutley rule. You know, maybe Michael Chavis is actually a second baseman. I still think he's a corner infielder. Is he a first baseman? Is he a third baseman? Uh, maybe he's a left fielder. I'm not so sure that Chavis is the long-term answer at second base. I think they'll still look, you know, to find a more traditional option uh, at that position. They don't really have anybody in the minor leagues. I mean, I, I shouldn't say they don't really have anybody in the minor leagues. They don't have a player in the minor leagues who's, who's a middle infielder right now. Uh, so you know, what that, you know, I'm I'm not sure, uh, but I don't think it's Chavis. I mean, Chavis is likely a part of this team's future, just probably not at second base. That's what I'd say right now. So Matt, actually, I was going to get into uh, Michael Chavis with you a little bit before you kind of went off on that uh, little tangent. So last week we actually talked about Jared actually brought up the hypothetical, a hypothetical that we all talked about. And I want to ask you this hypothetical with Michael Chavis. And you just said that he's obviously not your long-term answer for second base. So the question now that I would ask you is, do you see Michael Chavis long-term in just the Red Sox organization? 
Or maybe do you try to sell them high to get a piece at the trade deadline that might line you up for another chance at a World Series title? Yeah, that's a fascinating thing. And, you know, I've been thinking about the same thing. All right, so, you know, Chavis was a borderline top 100 prospect uh, before he got popped for steroids last year or the positive test, whatever you want to call it. Before he got popped for that, he was, a you know, top 85, top 95, top 100 prospect in the game. I don't think anybody really envisioned this. Uh, the power is legit. They've always believed in the power. Uh, so I'm not surprised by the power numbers he's putting up. I'm just surprised that, you know, overall – how good he's been in the field, uh, you know, how he's hitting for average. I mean, not that average means what it once did in baseball, although I'm old school. I still look at that stat. Uh, he's just, I mean, he, sure, he strikes out a lot, but he puts his bat on the ball a lot too. Um, as far as his future in the organization, I, my guess is they're reevaluating it. I, I was of the belief uh, that they tried to trade him for Calvin Herrera last year. Uh, there was buzz uh, at the time. Uh, that the Red Sox maybe had a deal for Kelvin Herrera. Something fell through, a deal involving one of their top five prospects. Uh, Groom was hurt at the time, and, and, and Mata was hurt at the time, so it wasn't going to be those two. So it was down to three guys. Chavis was battling a little bit of an injury that the Red Sox were trying to keep quiet uh, around that time. So I was of the belief that after the steroid test that maybe they wanted to move on from him. Uh, but I think they, if, if that were the case, and I don't know if it were, I mean, that's speculation. Um, but if that were the case, I think they might be reevaluating that now because the future at first base for this organization is up in the air as well. You're not going to retain Steve Pierce after this year. Mitch Moreland uh, as, is a good player, but he's a, more of a platoon player more than anything. You know, he's getting up there in age. Do you want to you know, redo his, his deal for another two years? I'm not so sure. Devers certainly you know, is, is starting to turn things around defensively at third base. They believe in, in, in his athleticism there. So I could see Chavis sliding in at first base, at least for the time being. They've got a number of corner infield prospects. Uh, Bobby Dahlbeck, who's most likely a third baseman because he can play the position uh, quite well based on all reports. If he's a big league hitter, uh, then he's a third baseman. Uh, Tristan Cassius, who was their first-round pick last year, probably is a first baseman, but he's a few years away. So if Chavis is staying in the organization, I think they likely view him as a first baseman moving forward. That's just, that's just a guess based on the tea leaves, based on the way that the rest of the roster and the rest of the organization is shaping up. So one thing, uh, Matt, that I want to stick on with Chavis real quick. Again, another thing we talked about on our episode last week, Michael Chavis is obviously out to a hot start. The power numbers are there, and he sort of brought a spark to this Red Sox lineup that seemed to be lacking in the month of April. Do you think that this is sort of like a trade deadline situation where a guy gets here and it's all adrenaline, or do you think maybe there's a possibility there could be something else to it? Uh, as far as as far as the, you know, them keeping him, I'm not 100% sure I, I understand the question in regards to the trade deadline. So basically what I'm try- basically what I'm trying to ask is as far as his hot start goes do you think it's similar to a situation where guys at the trade deadline just sort of go nuts like Eduardo Nunez went right. nuts when he came here or do you think that maybe it could be credited to something that maybe he did in the past that could be also helping him now hint hint right hint, okay hint. all right so you know I think another way to say it is is this guy Will Millbrooks is he Shea Hillenbrand yeah. mm-hmm. is he a guy that comes hey, yeah. up lights the world on fire and then all of a sudden, he's not that type of player. I'll say this. I don't think he's a 290 hitter in the big leagues. Uh, but he's, he's the modern hitter. I mean, he strikes out a ton. He's the three true outcome guy. He hits for a ton of power. You know, he's going to work a walk, and he's going to strike out. So is he this good? I'm not so sure. 
Um, but is he, you know, all of a sudden going to flame out and be, you know, a two ten hitter with no pop? I don't think so. I think I think the power is legit. That is what I'm ready to bank on right now with Michael Chavis. This guy's going to hit for power at the big league level, and he's going to hit for power consistently. And in this day and age, that's a starting big league player for you, particularly at the corner position. I mean, if he's a first baseman, he hits 250, but hits 25 to 30 home runs. I mean, that's you know that's a guy that that you keep around for a long time, and and that's a guy that will be a big part of the Red Sox moving forward if that's the case. I think the power is totally legit because the minor league numbers back that up. The Red Sox drafted him because they loved his power. He flashed his power in the minor leagues. Didn't hit for a lot of average early on until 2017 when he just burst onto the scene. Uh, but the power has always been there, so I absolutely buy in on that. And if he's juicing a little bit, it's okay. As long as you don't get caught, it's it's okay. <laughs> that's what I was hinting to. Didn't want to say it, but that's what I was it, sort of hinting at. If he's popping PEDs, it's okay, Matt, as long as he doesn't get caught. No, it's not, Jared. <laughs> And, and, you know, that's, that's the concern with Chavis is, you know, this guy was, he was a first round pick. Okay. So there, there was a lot to like there. He had a really rough few seasons, first few years in professional baseball. And then all of a sudden in 2017, he puts it all together. You know, just the power numbers go crazy. Uh, you know, he's hitting for average. He's tearing up the low minors. He gets to Portland by the end of 2017. You know, you're thinking, all right, 2018, he's going to start in Portland. He's going to get to Pawtucket. He's going to get to Boston by the end of the year. He gets popped for 80 games. Now, he came back at the end of last year and hit well. He started this year, he hit well. So, you know, it's not like, you know, you could say, well, it's the carryover from whatever was going on in 2017. He's starting to put up a bigger sample size, which is, which is noticeable, but that was always the concern with him. How inflated were those numbers in 2017? The farther we move away from that, I think the more secure you can feel about this player moving forward. Okay, one more thing before we get off the uh, Michael Chavis hype train here. Um, because you you hinted it, you, you're okay with him hitting 250 as long as he's hitting moon bombs down to like, over Lansdowne Street. This obviously sounds like another player, only a 180 of how we all treat Jackie Bradley. It's the, I don't care how bad he hits, he can hit under 100 as long as he's making defensive plays like we know he can. I want to know which one you'd rather. I'm going to test your old school will of baseball love here. Would you rather the defense and Jackie Bradley Jr. in your lineup without the offense? Or would you rather having Michael Chavis um, knowing he's not going to be as good in the field? All right. So I'll say this. I, I am Mr. Old School Baseball. I place a real value on defense. Uh, I love watching Jackie Bradley Jr. play center field. I remember the first time I watched him shag fly balls. And I'm like, damn, that is – I'm like that like Mr. Defense guy, like, you know, put Jim Edmonds in the hall of fame. Well, maybe not Jim Edmonds, but put, put Omar Vizquel in the hall of fame. Like that, that's me. That being said, Jackie Bradley jr. Is such a black hole offensively that even I, Mr. Defense, Mr. You know, small ball, Mr. You know, the little things count in baseball. Even I cannot get behind what Jackie Bradley jr. Has given them offensively this year. Nobody is that good defensively nobody i mean i don't care if you're playing willie mays defense out there if you're hitting a buck 60 there's no place for that particularly when you have good outfield defense elsewhere uh so you know i guess with normally i would say give me the defense but i mean if you're giving me a choice between like all right you know i'm gonna have you know michael chavis you know you can help put him in left field if you have to, <laughs> to get bradley's you know to get bradley's bat out of the lineup and hey, that's a possibility. I mean, he could see time out there. Eh. You know, if if you're giving me that choice, 
I'm sorry. I'm, I'm taking what, what Javis is giving them any day of the week. They need to be careful because we don't want them to pull Blake Swihart and ruin him. Just <laughs> don't need to do that. Uh, that was a, that was that was a player they ruined wholeheartedly, and I believe in that. Um, but okay, let's get off that trade. So I want to ask you. I want to go to the pitching because you know me and Al have talked about this a lot too. It's it's just the bullpen. I, I trust the starting rotation. If all these going to be back, you have guys who you know can do it. They really don't have a closer. I still don't think they have a closer. I'm just curious. You know, like who are the guys you really trust in this bullpen? I, I look at Brazier. And Barnes as really guys that I, I do trust long term. I still believe that they're at least a closer away, and that's a deadline conversation. But who do you ideally like trust to hand a ball seven, eight, nine right now? There's only one name, and it's Matt Barnes uh, because he's done it in the big situation. And listen, I know Ryan Brazier did it last year. My concern there is we're talking about a flash in the pan, and we've seen that a million times. And guys, how many times have you seen you know some you know middle-aged reliever? come out of nowhere, have a great season, and then you kind of never hear from him again. I know, Bra- you know, Brazier's getting out to the Yankee Stadium in, in, you know, October of last year, and there's value to that. Um, but, I mean, Barnes has a track record. I mean, Barnes is a legitimate late innings major league reliever. Uh, whether he's your closer, I don't know. I mean, but they haven't really used him as the closer. I mean, they've been, you know, they're telling you who they trust, and, and it's Matt Barnes because he's facing the middle of the order, in, in innings seven, eight, or nine, and it doesn't matter how they you know break it down. Close game, Barnes is getting the middle of the order, whether it's the seventh, the eighth, or the ninth. So they're telling you that he's the guy they trust, and, well, deservedly so. Uh, I've always been a proponent of Brandon Workman, but he walks too many guys, and he relies too much on that curveball, as good as it is. Uh, I just I worry about relievers who walk too many guys. Uh, so, you know, Workman, I think, is a fine uh, third or fourth option, but if you don't have you know, a, a legitimate closer and, you know, legitimate setup guy. I think Brandon Workman will eventually get exposed. Marcus Walden is a great story. And, you know, I'm glad that he has surpassed Brazier in the bullpen hierarchy right now uh, because, you know, the bullpen is the ultimate meritocracy, uh, you know, particularly with the way the Red Sox are doing it. You're pitching well, you're going to get the ball in high leverage situations. I'm glad that Walden's getting it. And, you know, his stuff looks legit to me. Uh, but you know, is he this year's Ryan Brazier, where he's the guy that comes out of nowhere and just dominates? Uh, that's kind of what he's been so far. We'll see if he can handle legitimate high leverage situations. Uh, he's had two of them this year uh, in late innings. He, he blew the game in Toronto and picked up the save the other night. So let's see what happens there. And in uh, Brazier, uh, if he gets it going, that's great. But I'm just not going to count on that at this point. I mean, they definitely do need an arm at the deadline, an experienced guy, a guy who's been there. And, and that's, I think, you know, even with the surprises that they've had out there, and I think the bullpen in some ways has been better than we thought. Sometimes it's been exactly what we thought, but sometimes it's been, it's been really solid. They still need a proven arm to add in July. There's no doubt about it. So Matt, sticking with the starting pitching for a second, I know we talked a lot about obviously the bullpen, but I just want to touch on one starter and that starter is Eduardo Rodriguez. The reason being is because a lot of people have talked about Rodriguez and everybody has been talking about how they want to see him sort of take that next step to being potentially a number two starter, maybe even a solid number three. I mean, granted, right now he's probably a three or a four. My question to you about Rodriguez is, do you think that there's another level to him that we just haven't seen yet? Or do you think that maybe like last year where he went 13-5 with a 3.82 ERA, do you think that's the best we're going to see out of Eduardo Rodriguez? Okay, so I think there is another level with Rodriguez. I just don't think he's capable of tapping into it. 
Uh, I mean, the stuff is good. I mean, we, we know, I mean, we know the stuff is good. We know he has that potential. I think, you know, people do look at him and rightfully so say, man, this guy could be a, you know, a, a really, you know, like on a, on a championship team, he could be your number three starter. I mean, he's, he's got really good stuff. And, and as a lefty, you know, he's got strikeout stuff. I mean, I understand why people look at Rodriguez and say that because I've said it a million times too. At this point though, guys, I mean, what this basically, if I'm not, what he came up in 2015, right. I mean, this yep. is kind mm-hmm. of his, you know, his fifth full season or approaching it at the big league levels. I know, I know he's had some injuries in the past. This is kind of who he is. Uh, he's just ultimately not efficient enough. I just don't know if he has it, I don't know, above the shoulders to kind of figure it out. You know, he, he's, a, he's, a, he's not really, he's a thrower. He's not a pitcher, you know, like, and ultimately that's who he is. And this is who he is. And he's going to have some nice runs, but he's just always going to be that inconsistent pitcher. At this point, the only thing consistent about him is his inconsistency. He is a perfectly fine fourth starter. Uh, again, on this team, you know, when Evaldi comes back, he should be the fifth starter. I mean, that's excellent. I mean, if you have a fifth starter with that type of potential, you're golden. I mean, you should be good. Uh, but to me, this is just who he is. He could be more, but I'm just not buying in on it at this point. So then – is that another need come deadline time? Or do they need to make multiple moves here? Like, because honestly, Matt, when you look at this team, right, I, I'm already almost conceding the division to the Yankees only because mm-hmm. you're not seeing the consistency and they're really only being bad teams. Like, they can't get out of their own way against the Astros. So you you look at this team, do they need, do they, or do they have too many holes to fill, which is sad to say because it's basically the same team they won with last year. Um, but really, how, how many additions do they really need to make at the deadline at that point? Yeah, so as far as, listen, I didn't think they were going to add a starting pitcher last year. And, you know, when you heard the rumors, oh, they're kicking around starters. I'm like, no, they should be kicking around bullpen guys. And they add Nathan Evaldi, of course, we know in October. I'd be surprised at this point if they invested in another starter at the deadline, uh, just because they've invested so much in that starting rotation. And if if Evaldi is back, uh, and, you know, if Brian Johnson is back, and you know, then you can get some of that depth back. In, in your bullpen and, you know, have that sixth or seventh starter that they really haven't had so far this year. I don't really see starting pitcher as a need uh, because assuming, you know, everybody's healthy. And again, you can't assume that when it comes to starting pitchers, that should be enough. I think the need that people aren't talking about and everybody's going to focus on the bullpen. And that's totally true. I think the need that people aren't talking about uh, is the bench. Uh, they need a bench bat uh, because too many nights here. I mean, they've been rolling with three hitters off the bench all year. Too many nights I look at the end of a ball game and I see Jackie Bradley Jr. and I see Eduardo Nunez hitting in a in a late game situation, and your options off the bench are either Nunez or Bradley, depending on who's playing that night, uh, Sandy Leone or Steve Pierce, who who hasn't hit a lick this year, and that's it. And you can't pinch hit for somebody like Jackie Bradley Jr. in that situation because the only guy on the team who's hit worse than Bradley is Pierce. So like you know, what's the point? Or you're going to send up Sandy Leone to hit? Like, that's not that's not a, a real viable solution for Alex Cora. Uh, they need a bench bat. They need to go out and find somebody who can be impactful, whether that's through a trade, whether it's through, you know, I mean, you know, Brock Holt maybe changes things a little bit, you know, for them. Uh, you know, we'll see. But I, I still think they need to improve this bench because if Pierce isn't going to hit or if Nunez isn't going to hit, uh, which they haven't, you need to upgrade there somehow. Now I'm going to put you on the spot because you brought this up. 
Who would you like? Is and this is you, you can say nobody because it's it is super early to even know a name. But like, do you have anybody in mind? You you kind of were specific there. So like, do you have anybody in mind that's out there that might make sense for this team, especially on some of those teams out there that just aren't playing well at all? Right. So I don't have a specific name right now, and you know that's the type of thing. Like you're probably going to get somebody in the last year of their contract, a veteran player, and somebody like a Steve Pierce. I'll tell you the profile though. Assuming Holt is healthy which I don't think we can necessarily assume. Um, but assuming Holt is healthy, he becomes your left-handed bat off the bench. Uh, so he's a, he's a good pinch hitter. Or, you know, on a day where Moreland doesn't start because it's a left-handed pitcher, uh, Moreland, as we know, is a very good pinch hitting option. They need a right-handed bat. Uh, they need a right-handed bat with a little bit of versatility, whether that's a corner infield, corner outfield guy, or somebody to replace Eduardo Nunez. Uh, that's the profile that they need. They need a right-handed bat, assuming Holt is healthy. If Holt isn't healthy, uh, they need a left-handed and a right-handed bat off the bench. And, you know, I mean, pick your position at that point because you, you just need to add some depth there. So I don't have a specific name right now. I mean, as we, as we get closer to the deadline, that's the type of thing, you, you know, you'll start to look at. Uh, but it's a, it's a right-handed bat off the bench to, to give them some type of production because they're not getting anything right now. Okay, Matt, I got one more question, then we'll let you go. It's been good stuff here. Um, so you're, I know you're a real baseball guy because your Twitter bio says you've been to 12 Springsteen shows, and I, and I, don't, I, don't, believe that's, I don't believe that's a lie. <laughs> so you can detect who like really belongs at a baseball field. I'm curious who you think, besides yourself, and don't count Tony Maz because that's just not fair, who is the biggest baseball guy at the sports hub besides yourself? Uh, uh, I'll, give you, I'll give you a couple names here. Uh, Mark Bertrand's a big baseball guy. Uh, and I know they, they don't talk as much baseball on that show. It's more of a football show. I blame uh, Zell for Beatles, that one. Beatles, Beatles, a big baseball guy. Uh, Sean Silver, though, I would say is, is the real scene head. Uh, you know, I mean, if, if I want to, like, sit down and talk, like, 1990s Red Sox baseball and talk about Archimedes Pozo and Donnie Sadler and the 1996, <laughs> you know, Boston Red Sox, uh, Sean Silver's my guy. Silver silver knows his stuff uh, he is a huge baseball fan uh, and marshall hook too i mean hook's a hook's a huge baseball guy as well but you know silver i think oftentimes we look at him as, as a basketball guy and he is i mean he knows he knows more about basketball than i will ever know like he's forgotten more basketball than i will ever know his basketball knowledge is impeccable his baseball knowledge though is right up there he is a massive seam head and uh, silver silver knows his stuff Love it. Love it. All right. We'll leave it there. Matt McCarthy on Twitter at Matt McCarthy, 985. Kind of the jack of all trades at the sports hub. Um, Obviously he's doing hardcore baseball podcast during the season. So check that out. He jumps on headlines. He's a little bit everywhere. Um, Matt, appreciate you jumping on. Love to have you on again soon, but I really do appreciate the time. Guys, anytime you need me, just hit me up. Happy to join you. It was a lot of fun. Thanks, Matt. Once again, we want to thank Matt McCarthy for joining us on the into the triangle podcast. If you want to check out any of his stuff, uh, you can check him out on Twitter at Matt McCarthy985, capital M on Matt, capital M on McCarthy, and capital C, the second C, not the first one, Liam, on McCarthy985. So, great interview, great guest, and hopefully the guests continue to roll in. But we want to talk about a few more things before we depart for the week. And one of them is the Houston series that just happened for the Red Sox. So last weekend, the Red Sox played the Astros at Fenway. Astros took two out of three. Red Sox won the final game on a Sunday. I believe that was a four to three win, if I'm not mistaken. Yep. 
Sure enough, they got their rematch with Houston in Houston this weekend. Lose two one-run games. I believe they lost four to three both days of that of that series too. And then they won yesterday. Won four to one yesterday. Correct. Won four to one yesterday. Yes. I was I, I was about to say we won yesterday four to one. We lost the previous two games four to three. Yep, that is correct. So I'm just going to give my thoughts real quick on the Houston series. I mean, there's not a lot to talk about. Well, actually, there's one thing that we can talk about with that series. So David Price. David Price came back from his little DL stint. And you could see it in his face. Like, I saw it when, you know, I saw him coming out and taking the ball from Cora. He only lasted one inning. And the thing is, is that he looked sick as a dog. Like, you could see it. His face was flushed. He just looked like he was going to collapse on the ground. He looked like he was going to puke. So, I mean, I don't know if you see anything with this, Liam. I I don't think it's that big of a deal. And I said this on the Benny and the Bets podcast. Go check that out on iTunes with Terry Cushman and Jeremy Schilling. Uh, I said it on there last night. I don't think it's that big of a deal because pitchers get sick. Players get injured all the time. They get these little minor injuries. I think J.D. Martinez was out uh, like last week for a good amount of time with the flu and his back and everything like that. So I don't see it as a big deal. Do you really see it as that big of a deal? Like you said, non-story. You know, it's completely different if he pulls an MJ and comes out and throws, like, 18 strikeouts, goes nine innings, shuts him out or something like that. But uh, that obviously wasn't going to happen. He was sick. I don't think it's anything worth uh, hanging on to or talking about. I'm glad he got – I'm glad it ended earlier than it was. Um, if he would have gone later and gotten shelled, then, you know, then all of a sudden David Price being sick turns into a big deal. So I think they nipped the problem in the butt early by getting him out like that. Yeah, and I think it's just a precaution thing too. I mean, it's just something where, you know, you have to look out what's in the best interest of the player. You have to look at the long-term solution because the Red Sox, it's not like they're like, I'm going to throw out another team, for example, the Minnesota Twins. So the Minnesota Twins are having a hot start to the season. And if they were in this situation, then they might be, you know, panicking, being like, oh my God, we got to get this guy on the mound to try to compete in the AL Central. But with the Red Sox, it's just a matter of they're going to be in the AL East race. Mm-hmm. I don't care what anybody says. I still have confidence in this team. I know it's June or about to be June. And I know that they're a little bit above 500. They're not exactly where they were last year. But you know what? You need David Price long term. You, you proved last year you needed David Price. Besides having guys like Chris Sale. Eduardo Rodriguez, Enric Porcello, and obviously Nathan Ivaldi when he comes back from injury. So you need Price, and you need him in the right state of mind. So I think giving him time till his next start to recover fully and be 100% in it mentally, I think it's going to go a long way. It's a tough division, too. Can't can't overlook the tough competition. No, no. and I mean, especially with the Rays, too, with their starting pitching with Glasnow and Snell. And obviously with the Yankees, they're just they're finding ways to win with almost like a triple A roster. That's like it's amazing. Me. Yeah, I know, that I don't know I, how they continue to win. I said that earlier today when I was talking with my family. I was like, the Yankees scare me because they don't have their big guns and they're still finding ways to win. So that's the scary part. I don't know what's gonna happen. But with this with this Houston series, I mean, I think it just comes down to game one, you know, you have some bad defense behind Chris Sale. And Chris Sale has just been that guy that he doesn't get the support all the time. And he's just – 
he just is so unlucky, and he's been unlucky since he started here in Boston. He could easily, easily, easily be a 20-game winner, and he can easily, you know, just dominate for the Red Sox, but it just seems like he never gets the run support or his defense isn't behind him. I'm not trying to make excuses for the guy, but it just seems like he's gotten a little more unlucky than some of these other uh, some of these other pitchers. So, I don't know if you wanted to include anything about game one. Um, those are just my initial thoughts, and obviously it stinks when you take away from a, pre- a pretty solid pitching performance against one of the top yeah. lineups in baseball. Uh, I don't know. That, the first two games of that series was a little disappointing. It was uh, I don't know, from Sopranos when um, they say, you know, just when I thought I was out, they keep pulling me back in. Yeah. Which is them inaccurately quoting Godfather 3. Uh, <laughs> but to, to get that reference correct for anyone keeping score at home. But, Liam won. Yeah, <laughs> Liam Audience won. zero. Well, like Let's I said, just, just disappointing because it really felt like we were rolling. And, uh, you know. Two losses in a row isn't going to kill your season, especially when we see that we are back and kicking now. Uh, but it was a little disappointing. But still got plenty of time and uh, nothing to be concerned about. Not going to cry over any spilled milk. Right. And then, like, in game two, I think it was just a situation where the offense just showed up a little bit late. They started hitting in, like, the seventh, eighth, ninth inning, and it just it didn't seem like the Red Sox had the same De- offense. Devers hit a dinger in the ninth inning, and it was just a little too little too late. Yeah, I think it was actually – I think it was Vasquez, oh, too. Vasquez. I, I think Vasquez hit, had one, too, in the ninth inning. It was actually with two outs to trim the deficit to one. So – it and it was funny because Osuna almost blew that game. And everybody okay. hates Roberto Osuna for just what he did and everything like that. And you know what? It, again, like you just said, Liam, you're not going to cry over spilt milk. It's just – the Red Sox, just obviously, they haven't been as consistent. They started to pick it up a little bit recently, but they were also playing bad teams. They were playing the White Sox. They were playing the Orioles. They were playing some bad teams that you should get wins against. And you know what? Now, they, now they're proving they're just not at that level just yet. They're not, at that, they're not back to that 2018 level just yet, which is fine. But they still have a long way to go. As long as they're playing their best baseball by the end of August into September, then I'm going to be happy about it. What do you think? needs to change over the course of these next couple of series to uh, start to turn this team into what we need to be? I mean, obviously the offense has to come back. I mean, when you're scoring three runs a game, that's not the Red Sox. But the thing is, when the Red Sox are on the road, historically they haven't hit as well on the road as they do at home because obviously they have the Green Monster, which adds to getting more extra base hits, more runs, and they just they feel comfortable obviously playing at home at Fenway. And then obviously just having the consistency. I mean, it just seems like one game, the offense isn't there. One game, the defense is a little lackluster. Another game, the starting pitching is only going four innings. The next day, you get a great start from your starter, and then the bullpen blows it. So there needs to be that consistency factor. And I think if you can get somewhat consistent, especially in this stretch of games coming up, then you're looking good for the rest of your schedule. Because I'm looking at the schedule now, Liam. And obviously, so as we're recording, the Red Sox are playing their first game of their series at home against the Indians. Mm-hmm. It is a three-game series, and currently the Red Sox are up 10-5 in the top of the seven. So right now they're looking good for that first game. I said it last week. I said it on Benny and the Bets podcast, and I'm going to say it again. I think the Red Sox need to sweep the Indians. But we're going to get into that in a second. So as far as their upcoming schedule, obviously they have the Indians for three. They have the Yankees for four in the Bronx. But then their schedule starts to get easy. They get three at Kansas City. 
They have four at home against the Rays, four at home against the Rangers, and then three on the road against Baltimore before you go into Minnesota. So if you can get through this stretch, now obviously they my prediction was they need to go like seven and three, eight and two to really be back. Unless they win the next seven straight, that's not happening, or they go six and one. So as long as you're at five hundred, six and four, then you're fine. I'd say that's especially- fair. Right, and especially going into those next couple series that I just mentioned, they're going to be fine. Like, there's no way that this team, I think, is going to lose, you know, to these Kansas Cities and Baltimores more than a game. Because obviously they're still MLB teams. They're going to, one day everything's just going to go right. I said that last week with the Blue Jays series. You know, they were going to have one game. I said they're going to win three out of four, and Blue Jays are going to have one game where everything goes their way. Sure enough, that's what happened. Don't call me a genius, Jared Scally, but, you know, I'll, I'll take the credit where it's due. And then the third game, obviously, great pitching performance from Eddie Rodriguez. Six innings, one run, five strikeouts. I think he gave up like four hits. So you know what? That's the Eddie Rodriguez that this Red Sox team needs consistently. They need him to be that solid number three, number four starter with or maybe a little bit ahead of Porcello. You know, they can fight for that three, four spot. And then when Eovaldi comes back, that just rounds out the rotation. And then that, honestly... I don't know about you, Liam, and I know everybody makes a big deal about Chris Sale and David Price, but I think this is one of secretly the most underrated rotations in all of baseball. I mean, yeah, you can when you think about it, like if all these guys are cooking, Sale, Price, Porcello, Eduardo Rodriguez, and then Avaldi coming in. I mean, those are all studs. We paid yes. we paid with the exception of Eduardo Rodriguez, those are all big acquisitions for us. Yes, exactly. You need those guys. You need you don't just need a one and two starter. You need one through five. You need the depth. And if Eduardo Rodriguez is on and everyone's cooking, like you said, then this team keeps going. With this Red Sox team, obviously it all comes down to their starting pitching, which this Red Sox team can get it consistent. Evaldi comes back. He's the Evaldi of last year, especially in the postseason with the World Series performance he put on. This team's going to be fine. Obviously, once again, we want to thank Matt McCarthy of 98.5, the Sports Hub, for coming on with us. Uh, obviously, check out everything on Couch Guy Sports. Check out all the articles. We are putting out content. I am also one of the writers for the website. I'm putting out content. We have great writers other than myself putting out content. Go in the store. Buy some merch. Tell your mom about it. Tell your mom's dog about it. Tell your mom's dog's best friend about it. They Tell everybody like it. about it. Yeah, they're all going to love it. Maybe we'll get some dog food in there. You know, dog treats in there is something that you can buy in the store. Probably not. But go check out the store. Buy merch. Check out the articles. Obviously, listen to the other podcasts. we got some good ones. Uh, Into the Rafters, Celtics podcast, uh, Couch Guy Hollywood. Obviously, the Couch Guy Sports podcast with Jared and Nick Qualia. And I know there's another podcast out there that I'm forgetting. And my apologies if I did forget that other one. And if I got all of them, then I'm a genius once again. But if nothing else, that's Liam Smith. I'm Big Al Nahigian. This is Into the Triangle presented by Couch Guy Sports. See you later and go Sox. And go Bruins tonight too. Stanley Cup Finals. Go Bruins. Go Sox.
Yes, it 